This is a story about cutting-edge technology, innovations that are poised to transform our understanding of biology and disease in a way that has never been possible before. But our story begins in 1665. That was the year that an English scientist named Robert Hooke published a book called Micrographia. In it, he described a discovery that would change, well, everything. Peering through a microscope at a slice of cork, he noted the appearance of units that resembled the cells that monks lived in in monasteries. Hooke named those tiny units cells. By about 200 years later, biologists had crystallized a cell theory, which recognized that cells are the basic unit of structure and function in life. Since around the mid-1800s, scientists have been working to characterize and classify all of the cell types in the human body. They used their shapes, their locations in tissues, their functions, and recently, their molecular makeup to classify them. But despite the decades that have gone into this, the picture is still incomplete. We surprisingly do not know the cells that we're made of. We know some, but we most definitely do not know all of them. The cell is a basic unit of life. We're made of tens of trillions of cells, and we know that they come in many different types and states and functions, but we only know some of them and not all of them. And by not knowing them, it means that we don't know how we actually operate and what goes wrong when there's disease. That was Aviv Regev. She's a computational and systems biologist and a professor of biology at MIT. She's also a core member and chair of the faculty at the Broad Institute, a nonprofit biomedical research institution that partners with MIT and Harvard University. Around five years ago, she realized that it would soon be possible to map all of the cell types in the human body. An atlas of cells across all tissues and organs would advance the community's understanding of biology and disease and open doors to new treatments. It was a huge undertaking that had never been attempted before, but the technology to produce a human cell atlas had arrived. From JAMA Medical News, I'm Jennifer Abbasi. Today we're talking about a new global project called the Human Cell Atlas. So what is a human cell atlas exactly? Here's what Sarah Teichman, a computational biologist in England and head of the cellular genetics program at the Wellcome Trust Sanger Institute told me. It's an international initiative to map all the cells across the human body, to chart the human tissues and organs at the resolution of single cells, individual cells, and to understand the human body at that very high level of resolution. And to also understand the tissues in terms of not just the identity of the individual cells using genomics methods, but also their neighborhood and the relationships between the cells in three dimensions, in three-dimensional space. We're trying to chart the human body and get towards a new high-resolution view of anatomy using cutting-edge genomics methods and high-resolution spatial mapping methods. Teichman and Regev are co-chairs of the Human Cell Atlas Organizing Committee. This was their brainchild, and it came about because of a groundbreaking scientific advance, something called single-cell sequencing. Here's Regev. Several years ago, the techniques to measure the molecules inside individual cells started becoming better and better. We could do it at both higher resolution for any given cell and for larger numbers of cells. 
and it became clear to different individuals in the community that there could be a real opportunity to build a map of unprecedented resolution and to do it in an orderly way. And so personally, in my case, I felt that this could be a, a great mission for the scientific community to take on for the decade and uh, started evangelizing. Then, as now, techniques to capture individual cells and measure the molecules inside them were quickly evolving. And they offered unprecedented insight into life's most basic units. Where once scientists could only sequence groups of cells in bulk, producing composite genomes and transcriptomes, it was now possible to read the DNA and RNA of a single cell at a relatively low cost. More recently, methods are maturing to determine where individual cells reside in a slice of tissue based on their RNA and protein signatures. Large numbers of these molecules can now be measured in intact tissues, preserving their spatial information and context using in situ technologies. These technologies are continuing to advance to the point where combining single-cell sequencing and in-situ sequencing technologies now allow scientists to determine not only the identity, but also the spatial location of individual cells and their neighbors in tissues and organs with unprecedented detail. This has made it possible to create a high-resolution map of cells. Regev began advocating for a human cell atlas in 2014. She wrote white papers on the topic, gave talks, and met with potential funders at places like the National Institutes of Health. With a philanthropic gift, she worked with colleagues at the Broad's Klarman Cell Observatory to develop and demonstrate high-throughput sequencing of individual cells, starting with dendritic cells of the immune system. And in parallel, across the ocean, Teichmann's group had been making strides in interpreting and exploiting single-cell sequencing data in immune and stem cells. The larger community on the Wellcome Genome Campus, where the Wellcome Trust Sanger Institute is located, had been kicking around the idea of a large-scale cell mapping project for years. A PowerPoint presentation brought the two scientists, who had never met, together. Teichman saw that Regev had slides on the internet coining the term human cell atlas, so she knew they were thinking along the same lines. In late 2015, Teichman called up Regev and asked if she was interested in joining forces. The two decided the time was right to team up and convene an international human cell atlas consortium. They spent much of last year organizing a meeting over email, phone, and Skype, and in October, the human cell atlas officially launched at a meeting in London. Around 100 people were experts from, from all around the world in, in genomics and computational biology and different medical and biological expertises came and it was um, just an incredibly exciting moment because there was this sense that we're on the cusp of something really big here historically. One of the early high-profile funders of the Human Cell Atlas Project is the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative. Mark Zuckerberg, the founder of Facebook, and his wife, physician Priscilla Chan, launched the initiative in 2015. We should also mention that the Wellcome Trust and the Kavli Foundation are also key sponsors of the Human Cell Atlas. But back to the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative. The goal of the science program there is to support science and technology to cure, prevent, or manage all human disease by the end of the century. Now, that's no small task, and it's certainly one that could benefit from a reference atlas of all human cells. I called neurobiologist Corey Bargman to talk about the Human Cell Atlas Project. She's president of science at the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, and she's a former co-chair of the NIH's Brain Initiative. 
We know a lot about human diseases. We know that there are genetic risks for human diseases, like BRCA mutations and cancer. We know that there are environmental risks for human diseases, like cigarette smoking and cancer. But ultimately, every disease has a cellular basis. Every disease results from some cells in the body either not carrying out their normal functions or carrying out activities that they're not supposed to be carrying out. And so by knowing what all of the cells are in the human body, we provide a foundation for understanding all of human health and disease more extensively. That's the goal of the Human Cell Atlas. We know a lot about the human body and we know a lot about the cell types in the human body. But the past few years have seen advances, particularly in molecular biology, that make it clear that there are many more distinct cell types than we were aware of. And two great examples of that are in the immune system and in the brain. So in the immune system, in recent years, we've discovered that the general categories of cells, like T helper cells or T suppressor cells, can be broken down into many subsets with very distinct properties. The identification of a set of T cells called TH17 cells a few years ago has led to really important insights into inflammatory diseases, and it's also part of the basis of the new generation of immuno-oncology tools that are being used to treat diseases. So by knowing that this class of cells exists and that it's unique and separate from other cells in the immune system, we have new insights into normal processes and disease processes. In the same way, my own area is the brain, and one of the big discoveries in neuroscience over the past decade or so has been the recognition of how heterogeneous the cells in the brain are. We actually don't know how many kinds of cells there are in the brain. We've known for a long time that there are general categories, like neurons and glia, and that there are subcategories, like excitatory neurons and inhibitory neurons. But increasingly, there are very specific small subsets of neurons that carry out unique activities that are distinct from those that other neurons carry out. My favorite example is that in the human brain, there are about 20,000 neurons that produce a neuropeptide called hypocretin or orexin. And when those cells are damaged, typically due to autoimmune disorders, the resulting patients develop narcolepsy cataplexy, this disorder in which the sleep state essentially invades the waking state. People suddenly collapse and lose muscle tone. They have hallucinations because they're dreaming while they're awake. This is a very complex disorder, and it shows you that when these 20,000 neurons are not functioning properly, the other 86 billion neurons in your brain can't keep you awake properly. So it's an example of how understanding a particular cell population gives you a new insight into human health and disease. And that's the kind of thing we want to know. How many other cell types are there like that that we have yet to identify that we're lumping into broader categories that prevent us from understanding them in detail? Recently, Regev and a team of researchers in the U.S. and the U.K. discovered some of those new cell types. They used single-cell RNA sequencing to peer into human blood cells. Among the discoveries they published in the journal Science are a new type of immune cell that may activate T-cells as well as a new immune cell progenitor. So, plans for the mapping initiative are shaping up. 
After the meeting in London, there have been gatherings at Stanford University and at the Karolinska Institute in Stockholm that focused on technology development and computational methods. Later this year, the consortium will reconvene at the Wiseman Institute of Science in Israel. Around 300 scientists attended the Stockholm meeting in June. There, Bargman announced that the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative would fund and help to build an open-source, cloud-based data-sharing and analysis platform for the Human Cell Atlas. The Broad Institute, the European Bioinformatics Institute on the Welcome Genome Campus, and the University of California Santa Cruz Genomics Institute will collaborate on the portal with Chan Zuckerberg Initiative software engineers. Other pilot projects are getting off the ground, too. Networks of scientists are planning atlases of immune cells, fetal cells, skin cells, and tumor cells. The network mapping immune cells alone is comprised of 12 international teams. And well-established, large-scale mapping projects like the Allen Brain Atlas and the Brain Initiative will also contribute to the Human Cell Atlas. Regev and Teichman believe that a first draft of the Human Cell Atlas covering dozens of major tissues and organs to a reasonable breadth and depth with some spatial validation could be ready in five years. A more comprehensive atlas could be available in a decade, and it will be revised as new discoveries are made. It's estimated that there are more than 37 trillion cells in the human body. It's not clear how many will be sequenced in the human cell atlas, but Teichman said a subset of around 1 billion should cover all key cell types and states in the human body. A few scientists have expressed concerns about the cost-to-benefit ratio of an expensive international endeavor to create a reference database of cells. But Regev and Teichman say they believe the work will impact human health and disease. Long before it's complete, the Human Cell Atlas is expected to unleash research efforts to characterize the functions of newly discovered cells. And this will engage a much broader community than the original group of cartographers who will build the first version of the atlas. Stephen Quake is a professor of bioengineering at Stanford University and co-president of the Chan Zuckerberg Biohub. At the Biohub, scientists are developing technologies and building on existing capabilities in single-cell sequencing and other experimental approaches to catalog and characterize specialized cells throughout the body, like in the lungs, the brain, and the pancreas. It's a long way from Robert Hooke's microscope. We've developed microfluidic tools that allow you to isolate the single cells and amplify their transcriptome or genome. So the basic idea is that you want to find a way to take a test tube full of cells, and then put all these cells in different compartments where you can do the molecular manipulations that allow you to purify and amplify their transcriptome, for example. And one of the ways we do that is with valves. So we build chips that have thousands of little valves on it that create little chambers and let you separate the cells and add reagents and break them open and do the molecular biology. The other way to create compartments is to make little droplets of water in oil, kind of like a salad dressing. That's called an emulsion, and that's another useful way to compartmentalize cells from a suspension. Thanks to these and other technological advancements, Quake foresees that for any given tissue, researchers will have the ability to query the human cell atlas database and ask questions about cell types, the states they go through as they move through their lifetime, and the genes they express at every point in the process. First of all, there's going to be a, a resource for basic science that really provides kind of unprecedented clarity and details about the different cell types of every tissue in the human body. And we think that's going to help advance 
physician scientists programs who you know are trying to understand the cellular basis for a variety of diseases. Second, the tools that we're developing here for science, I think, are going to ultimately be used in pathology as well. And the way that physicians acquire and analyze biopsies from human patients is, is going to be transformed by these sorts of approaches. And I think you'll see these used in the clinic routinely as a way of getting the best possible measurement and maximum information from any patient biopsy that's taken. Regev and Teichman said they want physicians to be part of the Human Cell Atlas networks. So if you're a physician and you're interested in getting involved, you can attend the meetings, visit the website, get in touch via email, or join the conversation on the Human Cell Atlas Slack channel. For links to these resources, check out the story I wrote about the Human Cell Atlas on JAMA.com. That's it for this edition of the JAMA Medical News Podcast. I'm Jennifer Abbasi. For more podcasts, visit us at jamanetworkaudio.com. You can subscribe to our podcasts on Stitcher and Apple Podcasts.